0: Well, let me tell you, I grew up in a family. It was a little bit savior and a lot of Santa. And I got to tell you something, as a kid, I swallowed it hook, line, and sinker. I was so into Santa. It was like I was intoxicated. I remember one time walking outside, and I was just looking for the big guy in the sky. And I'm like, oh my goodness, he is real, because I see him. And it's like I can see this red light flashing. You know, that's Rudolph. Little did I know, our house was in the flight pattern of LAX at the time. You know what I mean? But, I mean, I was so into this. And, of course, you know, there's that saying, there's the four stages of uh, Christmas. You know, you believe in Santa, then you don't believe in Santa, then you are Santa, and then you look like Santa, right? Okay? So, I mean, and the thing is, is that this is a time of year um, where the messaging just gets really mixed up. I talked about this yesterday, Sunday morning. I just want to share a few things I mentioned, but it's true. I mean, um, you have faith clearly depicted and, you know, issues of faith. In other words, ideas and revelation that uh, of virtue and justice and the plan of God that inform people's thinking. And then you have clearly fables and fairy tales and stuff. And then you have savior depiction, then you have Santa. I mean, so it's a real mixed bag. I mean, this is a time really where the wires can get crossed. I I heard a story of a married couple, they were celebrating their 65th wedding anniversary, and the husband turned to his wife in front of the family, and just he said, You know, I just want you to know that all these years your love has been tried and true. And she said, What did you say? He said, your love has been tried and true. What did you say? Your love, all these years have been tried and true. She said, I'm tired of you too. You know, it's like, so like sometimes, you know, it gets messy and it gets confusing and chaotic, but on a more sobering and serious note, you know, one newspaper put it this way, when calls to psychiatrists and emergency room visits are tallied, the increase is always evident. The holiday fantasy in which today's festivities never measure up to romanticized image of Christmas past. Cambridge Hospital Psychiatrist Less Than Heaven said, for older persons, the holidays get harder because it gets increasingly difficult to hold on to great expectations. Here's the thing. Seriously, if we all look back in our childhood... Uh, experience we all had different experiences and celebrated christmas or the holidays differently but it's more than just kind of being intoxicated by materialism it's true i mean the, the thing is it had to do with a sense of wonder as well that, that may sound like a lightweight issue but it isn't you know when you're a kid you're you kind of get caught up for a, a season like hey there's something bigger than myself And it's interesting that one of the names for the Messiah, the Lord Jesus, is that he's wonderful. I mean, so in other words, he communicates to us in the most deepest way, fulfilling our need for a sense of transcendence and wonder and that which is bigger than ourselves. I have a friend who has just finished a book. It's going to come out in, in March. He's going to speak here. He's one of the great young communicators in our world today. And I know it sounds overstated, but it's true. Um, ben Corson. But he said, in this book, he said, you know, I, I, know this, I know this kid one time who was approached by a skeptical parent, eight-year-old, and this parent said, you know, I'll give you an orange if you can show me where God is. And this eight-year-old thought for a second and said, I'll give you eight oranges if you can tell me where God is not, he said, you know. In other words, he's everywhere. Um, did I say that clearly? That makes sense. Okay, I'm looking at my wife. Thank you very much. I need the affirmation from my wife. She needs to be right there. So, but here's the thing. Deep down inside, what we're really longing for is to get back to the first Christmas. It's true. Because our souls are wired to know a sense of transcendence, that which is bigger than ourselves. C.S. Lewis, the great Oxford professor, said this. He said, All the things that ever deeply possess your soul have been hints of heaven. And if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is I was made for another world. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy, but to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. Let me say it differently. Look, there's concrete realities, okay? Here's the reality, though. Intangible, non-concrete realities are just as real as things we can see. That's just a flat out fact. Because right now there are sound waves all over the place. Um, you're interpreting them as, is, as mean, have meaning because uh, apparently words are coming out of my mouth, but really sounds are coming out of my mouth. And they're interpreted as words, and words carry meaning. And the meaning is impacting you even on a cellular level. And what's happening here is yeah, you see me and I'm moving around and my mouth is moving, but there's intangible realities unseen realities taking place right now that are impacting our life and 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 that's true with love that's true with beauty and a sense of justice we can't just say oh that's just the prefrontal cortex of my brain and everything is material that is really a terrible narrow way to see life so here's the thing let me just propose this idea deep down inside we're all longing really to get back to the first Christmas. I mean, I don't know what your Christmas was in 64, or 54, or 74, or 84, or 2004, but we need to go further back. And Hebrews thirteen eight, and we think I think I, we have it up on the screen, says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, like, what does that mean? I mean, that's a great statement. That, that means that, Actually, the Jesus of yesterday can be known today. So if we go back to the first Christmas and the realities of the first Christmas and what it meant, well, actually what it meant then, the truths that it speaks of are just as true today. And we can know the Jesus of yesterday, today and forever. Hey, check out this next verse. We have it up on the screen, Luke chapter two, verse 11. This is power packed here. And you got to see this through a Hebraic, you know, Jewish lens. 2,000 years ago, this being penned, if you were to weigh the meaning of this, the truth of this, it's just off the charts. For there is born to you this day in the city of, can someone tell me, David. Not New York, not Rio de Janeiro, not Los Angeles, not San Diego. Okay, we're talking about the city of David. that that That's major DNA forensic power there that is power-packed speaking of the fact that there were prophecies, prophecies identifying future events before they happen, Jesus said, so that when they happen, you might believe in him. The city of David speaks of, of course, where King David was born. And the prophecies given to Israel was that there would be a king, Messiah, that would be a son of David in his lineage. So this identification here that uh, there is born to you this day in the city of David. Reading this two thousand years ago, it's like whoa. And who is this one? Well, the implication is Messiah. He's savior. Okay, t- t- tell me more. Who is Messiah? Whoa, Mashiach in Hebrew. Okay, um, so he's savior, Messiah, and 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 what else? Everybody say it. the what Lord. Okay, the everybody say it. Lord. Okay. Well, look, Lord there means uncreated one, actually. L- Lord means eternal one. So he's, look, he's come to bring a rescue to help us because we all need help outside of ourselves. You know, God made us, but he just didn't abandon us. You know, you have the age of enlightenment a few years ago that, you know, yeah, we believe in God, but it's like God's the big watchmaker and he, you know, he just wound things up and threw it out there and then backed off. I mean, wow, man, Really? So he's not active. He doesn't care. Um, that's not an accurate view. The fact that the Lord is Savior, he's a rescue, he brings shalom, he brings wholeness is incredible, incredible reality. The city of David, as I mentioned, is Bethlehem. And there's this phenomenal prophecy. It's Micah 5.2. I think we have it on the screen. That Bethlehem, out of you, shall come forth to me, the one to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth are from old, from everlasting and this idea from everlasting in the original language is like, like out of mind. It's like v- to the vanishing point. I cannot wrap my mind around this. You're talking about eternality. You're like, who created God? No one created God. And, and, you know, scientists, and we all recognize this today, there was a creation, there was a beginning of the universe. We call it the Big Bang. I have no problem with the Big Bang except only that you identify there's a big banger behind the big bang, okay? We didn't come from nothing, okay? Um, but look, the Bible says, in the beginning, God, the eternal one existed. Out of everything, he, out of nothing, he created everything. And this one has actually revealed himself to us. Here's the thing, look, I just got an upgrade on my iPhone. You know? <laughs> I'm really happy about it. Um, so it's like, you know, when did they come out? Um, it's giving me a message here, look at your audience. Okay, no, it's Um So it's like, I don't know, 12, 15 years ago, you know, if, the, if someone held up an iPhone, we would have no idea really what it is unless, you know, Steve Jobs who created it reveals it to us. Okay, this complex thing. I mean, I can't believe it. There's, I think, 100 gigs in this thing. Um, but the, the point is, is that it's like we have no idea really why we exist, what the purpose of our life is who God is, unless he reveals himself to us. And just to have a sincere view of who he is doesn't make it correct. And the good news is, he has revealed himself to us. And what the gospel is, is we're talking Jesus, the Messiah is Savior, which tells us that he has come to help us because we do need help outside of ourselves. Let me ask you a question. Has the age, do you think of technology which is phenomenal, that's a big thing today, science, accumulation of knowledge, global community. Have, have these things really answered the issues of emptiness, racism, purposelessness, uh, death, and hopelessness? The, the, the answer is, in some ways, these things have helped, but they haven't answered these questions. They haven't answered these issues. I mean, we're more divided than ever in the country. I don't want to overstate it, but we're more political than ever. Science helps us understand how God made things, does not answer why he did. That is revealed to us in the Messiah. Like actress Angelina Jolie said, I remember one of the most upsetting times of my life was after I had attained success, financial stability, and I was in love and I thought, I have everything that they say you should have to be happy, but I'm not happy. And you know what this tells us? This tells us, seriously, that we're all not really looking for Christmas. We're looking for Christ. We're not really looking for merriment, you know, or a buzz. We're really looking for the Messiah. That is the need of our heart. We're not really looking for presents. I mean, I'm grateful for presents. I got one, you know, before the service right here. Um, But we're looking for, like, His presence, and more specifically, the person of the Almighty, The brilliant George MacDonald said this, really super smart guy. He said, man finds it hard to get what he wants because he does not want the best. And that God wants to give man the best, but man will not take it. You know, Jesus, when he was coming into Jerusalem, it it says he was convulsing. I mean, like in the original language, seriously, like breaking down, like so overwhelmed, so grieved. He was weeping over Jerusalem and he said to Jerusalem, how much I just want to, like a hen gathers her chicks to gather you, to bring you into relationship with me. But you are not willing. It has, it has nothing to do with whether or not there's adequate evidence that there's a true and living God or that the Savior is real. He was raising the dead. He was walk, walking on the water. It's ample evidence. But but there's a hardness of heart, and we're going to get to that a little bit, because there's one thing God can't move, even though he's omnipotent, is he can't move a hardened heart. I mean, what's what's incredible is that today we can all experience, actually, the Jesus of yesterday, because he's the same uh, yesterday, today, and forever. The question is, you know, what does that mean? I want to tell you a brief story. John chapter 4. Jesus is through a place called Samaria. It says he he needed to go there. It's almost like he was compelled to go there. And the reality is Orthodox Jews would stay away from this place. Don't have time to develop the background, but major ethnic racism between Orthodox Jews and the Samaritans. So they would avoid this area. Jesus pressed into this area he meets a woman at the well. It's in the afternoon. Seeing a woman at the well is nothing unusual. The women drew the water, but the fact that it's in the afternoon, that's a little unusual. The fact that she's alone is a little unusual. The women generally would go get water in the morning together, right? I mean, maybe for some camaraderie and some protection and things. For her to be isolated, is, it's, 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 a, it's, not, it's not normal. And Jesus initiates a conversation with her, which was really scandalous at the time because in this culture, you did not speak with women publicly unless she was your mom, wife, daughter, sister. But in the process, Jesus reveals to this woman that he knows who she is and where she has been. He identifies that she has had five husbands and that she's presently living with someone who is not her husband. Now time out here. Now, that's a little awkwardly real, don't you think? It's like, Lord, I mean, it's like you're having this conversation with this woman, and you have to bring up, or you're, you're, you're revealing her past in such a way? It's like, isn't that a little awkward? And yet he says, you know, look, I, I just know, I know you, you know, I know you. I, I know who you are, actually. And I know the relationships and how they haven't worked out and stuff. And you're presently in a relationship. You're you're not married. Here's the thing. You've got to get this. It's how she responds that that really speaks volumes because she does not respond by saying, "Hey, you know what? That is so stinking rude. I'm a Samaritan. It's like you even initiate conversation with me. It's a little weird." But then you start telling me about my past, and that's really uncomfortable. And it's like, you know, don't talk so loud and stuff like that. So why don't you go back to Jerusalem and learn some manners? That's not what she does. Rather, she's actually super excited. She's actually really, really blessed. She's ecstatic. She, she's blessed. She ends up running into her town of Samaria, and she tells everyone, including the men, that she has met a man who has told her everything about herself. She got the truest truth she could ever have ever gotten from a man. Why would she be so happy about that? And this is where we, where we get what it looks like when you come face to face with what it looks like when you come to meet the Lord himself. And that is you know that you've met God, the Lord Jesus, when the truth of who you really are is identified, but at the same time, what's also identified is the fact that he loves you. Because one of the greatest fears we all have is to be known but not loved. And and any psychiatrist or therapist would say, hey, helping people we dig down. We dig down because we have pain and we have a way of covering it, and by nature we run, just like in the book of Genesis, what did Adam and Eve do after they sinned? They ran. They ran, they tried to cover their guilt and their shame with things that were not adequate. You're, you're looking for the person who, who really knows everything about you and actually still loves you. And the ultimate, the ultimate conclusion was, it rocked the whole city of Samaria. And, and they ended up believing that Jesus was the Messiah. I'm just curious, what would the Lord say to you? What would he say to you if he you know, met you at, um, at Starbucks or something, you're thinking, I mean, hey, look, I mean, I'm not sure I want him to talk to me like he did to the Samaritan woman and identify, you know, a past or identify what I'm struggling with or what's going on in my life in the present. Well, well let me ask you, well, what, what, why not? I mean, here's the thing, is that the Bible says God is love. He is perfectly good, okay? So he only does that which is good. And the reality is that if Love is at play if there's genuine love. If if you love someone, you will hate any influence in their life that undermines their highest good. So it's actually really really important actually that if there's love at play, if you have a relationship with someone, particularly with God, that's the context here, you want him to know you. And it's actually important to have an accurate view of yourself. That's important because that will lead to the fact that you'll recognize, hey, it's like I was made to know him. And and I I wasn't made to fix myself. And I wasn't made to manage myself and go through life with self-management. And here's the reality. It's impossible to have an accurate view of ourselves if we start with ourselves. Like the other night, I I woke up. I had this shoulder injury I injured a long time ago, but it just kind of came back and... I just think, oh man, I have this thing, what is going on? I got this, kind of this little lump here of inflammation, and I woke up, and I, I'm just trying, <laughs> and I'm trying to diagnose, it woke Stephanie up, and we're Googling it, you know, which I don't recommend, um, you know, but we're trying, to, I'm trying to bring some diagnosis to myself. I, I really need a professional outside myself. I mean, if you, if you want the right diagnosis, and listen, the right diagnosis of our life and who we really are is absolutely critical it's, it's essential actually to knowing who he is because he's savior but if you really want to know you need to ask someone outside yourself and namely the lord so like 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 check this out like what would be the lord's directives for our life let me bring some from the hebrew scriptures Exodus 20 verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. You say, that sounds so archaic, who has gods? Oh, actually, a god is anyone or anything that takes the place of the true and living God in your life. So it has to do with an allegiance issue. It has to do with the vertical issue of one's life. And if that is off, listen, if the vertical issue is off in life, it throws everything off. So it's like life is like a fixed axis, there's vertical and there's horizontal, and it's like if the vertical is right, with right allegiance to the true and living God, it impacts relationships, marriage, it, it brings right balance. But if it's off, it throws everything off, including one's life. And so the Lord said, look, I want you to have your allegiance right. I, I made you, I created you. I want you under my design. Exodus 20 verse 4, you must not make for yourself an idol of any kind. It's like, idol? So weird. Oh, the idea is, hey, don't make up an idea about who you think God is. He's not a figment of your imagination. You know there are there are false ideas just because you're sincere in your view doesn't make it right. Jesus said, "This is eternal life that you might know the true and living God and the Son whom he sent." Exodus 20 verse 13. Check it out. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not tes- testify falsely against your neighbor thinking, man, these are such downers, hang in there. I mean, Jesus said to this, look, this is critical. These are the boundaries for life, to bring health and protection out of yourself, but for others, but Jesus said this. He said, look, you've heard in times past, you shall not murder, of course not. You don't devalue another human being, of course not. But he says, but I say to you, you look upon a white person, I'm paraphrasing. I look at this white trash. I wish they were dead. Black person, Arab, Jew, Hispanic, Asian, whatever. Your neighbor. I wish they were dead. I hate them. They're not worth living. That actually is murder. That's where murder begins. And who we really are is who we are from the inside out. And in that way, then, if we were really evaluated from the inside out, just check this out, then, The the commandment that whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it comes into focus. Because what it tells us is, like, I have a condition that I need help outside of myself. And it's much more serious than we often think. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Death to inner life, death to dreams, death to relationships. It has a decaying, erosive Breakdown, desensitizing impact upon our life. Look, if I go to the doctor and I say, "Doc, you know, I'm feeling great, but look, I just need to take a blood." test. I'm feeling great, I'm feeling great. You no, know, but I just you know, you're you know, you're so you know, 54 years of age, as old I am, and uh, I should take a blood test. Okay, I'm feeling great, and then it's revealed. I'm feeling great, but it's revealed there's some type of virus, some type of crazy thing in the blood. It's serious. It needs to be addressed in a similar way. Look, the Lord is saying. From the inside out, there's a condition called sin and it needs to be taken seriously. The Bible says the Lord's arm is not too weak, that he cannot save you, nor his ear is too heavy, that he cannot rescue you or hear you. If you're, but your sins have cut you off from God and the soul that sins shall surely die. That's why Jesus came, to fight the fight of love and bring you into relationship with the Heavenly Father. And there is... Nothing more powerful than a love rescue. When a person would come and actually give their life for another. Check out this verse up here. It's Isaiah chapter 53. I'm going to walk over here. Check this out. This was written hundreds of years before Jesus ever came. This is a prophecy of why Jesus came. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement for our peace. Shalom right relationship with God, wholeness in life, impact the world was upon him. And by his stripes we are, can everybody say it? Healed, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. But the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Can I hear a big amen to that? That is incredible. Listen, that means this. It's incredible love rescue. And it's true. But Jesus came to do what? To bear your guilt, my guilt, shame, brokenness, addiction, confusion, habit, ignorance, weakness upon himself, and in its place, give us right standing with Almighty God by the power of his resurrection. When Jesus died in each one of our place, he did so to win our allegiance and there's nothing like a love rescue. I've told this story many times, but man, I was so moved. When I was a youngster seeing this, Flight 90, I think it took place in 1981. And there was a plane that skidded off in Washington, D.C., in the Potomac. It broke up. And Arlen Williams is in the icy waters, and their people are just, oh, man, it's just terrible to watch. You can see it on YouTube. And helicopter comes in dropping lines. People are on the side of the river, and, and this precious man, he's just... He's handing the lifeline to other people. They're just in wreckage and freezing water. And he's just like giving the life to other people, giving the lifeline to other people, giving the lifeline to other people. And then all of a sudden it's like, where did Arlen go? Where did he go? I mean, this guy's just like saving people, giving his life for the benefit of others. I mean, that's what love is. Love is totally others oriented. What's the best, the highest good of others? Well, Arlen lost his life. Today, there's bridges named after him and schools named after him and hospitals named after him. And the reality is, is that if he was alive, if he was alive, we'd all line up and thank him and shake his hand and, and, and give him a hug. But, but we can't do that because he's not alive. But Jesus is alive. I mean, seriously, Jesus is alive. The Savior, the Lord Jesus came. He hung, bled. He gave his life on the cross. He bridged the gap between God and man. Three days later, he conquered the grave. He's alive. When you believe in Jesus, you're not committing intellectual suicide. Are you kidding? Christianity would never have gotten off the ground in a Jewish culture, it's Jewish history, unless there was major thrust, major thrust to push it off the ground. It had to be a bodily resurrection because it convinced a band of Jewish followers that he in fact is the Messiah. Hey, just I'm almost done, but just check this out. I mean, when you think of Christianity, You think the case for Christ. I mean, think of a mosaic. You know, you look at some of the components. It's like, okay, prophecy. Yeah, like God foretold future events and a virgin would conceive and bear a son. You'll call his name Emmanuel, God with us. A child would be born, a son would be given and the government would be on his shoulder and everlasting father, prince of peace. So you have almost Christmas BC before Christ, the prophecies and you have The miracle of the first birth and then the unique child of messiah and then his incredible character and charisma and command and control and the cross and conquering the grave you have him ascending to heaven demonstrating he he is the king he wears the crown you have the evidence of convincing jewish followers he is savior king and messiah and don't believe anyone who says jews don't believe in jesus that's not true And then the gospel impacting the circumference of the world. Look up here for a second, just real quick. I mean, look, the Bible is a revelation. The Bible speaks of God revealing himself to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, that through Israel, the entire world would be blessed. And that's exactly what has happened in the Messiah of Israel. And we call this the New Testament because it's a playoff of really an Old Testament passage. You know, we think like old is like, no, it doesn't exist anymore, it shouldn't exist. No, it's silly. It's like New Testament is really just simply saying that the story continues from Genesis to Revelation. And it's like, my goodness gracious, this genius plan of the heavenly father to reel reel himself to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the prophecies, and and, and David, and the Messiah, and the resurrection. It's like all true. It all fits and the convincing of Jewish followers, and now the prophecies that he's going to come again, and today he still changes millions and millions and millions of people's lives. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that can be true in your life. You say this, Greg, you you just don't know where I've been. I don't, but I know where he's been. And yesterday, he was like breaking chains, man, and setting people free. And he can do that in your life. And yesterday, he's giving his life on the cross. He's no longer on the cross, but paid the debt of sin. He brings forgiveness. He can do that in your life as well. You know, but you just don't know where I've been. I don't know where you've been. I know where he's been, though. He gave his life on the cross, paid the debt of your sin and mine. He died in our place. Can I hear an amen to that? He's the great Arlen Williams, so to speak. Jesus said, no man has greater love than this. He would lay down his life for his friends and he laid his life down for us. And listen, he conquered the grave. I wouldn't be here if I didn't believe and if Christ didn't change me. Yesterday, he set people in the right trajectory. He can do that in each one of our lives. And it's not too late for each one of us to finish well. We can still all finish well. Most important decision is be right with the Lord. But I'm gonna tell you one thing that an all-knowing, powerful Almighty God can't do, he can't move a hardened heart. And it's why the Bible says the Lord hates a proud look because it goes before destruction. Pride keeps millions from Jesus. The Bible says he gives grace to the humble, which in other ways is just like honest with themselves, like teachable, but he resists the proud which would be just like I'm living in denial and resisting. Don't do that. I mean, and it's like the Lord loves you, loves you, loves you, loves you, loves you, loves you. Loves you. I mean, you're like to die for. And he did. It's like, and he wants you, your highest good. And if it's love, then he is going to fight for you. You know that. He's going to pursue you because he wants the best for you. And the best for you is himself. So, so it's like, hey, can I ask, can I ask all of us in this room, and this includes me, can we say today, it's like, Lord, um, I need you. I mean, I need your help. I need your presence. I need your hope. I need your rescue. I need your forgiveness. I need your deliverance, freedom, power, assurance. That's a great thing. Like the man in the Bible just simply said, Lord, have mercy upon me. Great, great prayer. Totally non-living denial. Being honest. I need your help. And I'm going to open my heart to you. And you know, Jesus said he stands at the door and knocks. And if anyone would hear his voice and open the door, it's a metaphor, open the door, he'll come in. And say, how do I know the Lord's speaking to me? Well, we've been talking about it, but a couple of things, just real quick. Look, recognize what the Lord has done for you. Not only made you, He created you. But he's revealed himself to us. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except to be through me. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. He died for all of our sins. He paid the debt. Three days later, resurrected, and he's coming again. I got to do something with that, though. And this is where I wasn't sure before I became a Christian. Second thing you got to do, you got to repent. And repent actually means to change the way you think. It's a beautiful word, metanoia in the Greek, change the way you think. In the most important area, embrace Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And and for all of us, there's a day of visitation. The Lord comes and he comes knocking. And third, you, you, you need to receive him because the Bible says he's just a prayer away. Those who call upon the Lord shall be saved, the Bible says. So look, here's the thing. I'm a man, a pastor. It's not that important. What's important is this message. What's important is the Lord is in the room here. And he uses moments like this to open our eyes to who he is. And I would encourage you, like in the next few moments, man, today you you can open your heart to receive Christ. You can leave here knowing your sins are forgiven. If you were to die, you'd go to heaven. I mean, the greatest gift of all is nothing under a Christmas tree. It's the one that was on that tree 2,000 years ago. Jesus is true. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Can I hear an amen to that? Amen. So, Matt, I want you to come on up. Let, yeah, amen. Okay. Hey, listen, let's pray. We're going we're gonna to sing one more song, give some instructions. But let me, let me pray. Lord, I just want to thank you for you. You're beautiful. You're awesome. I mean, all throughout history, people, men and women, boys and girls, have worshipped. And um, Lord, I thank you. I know you have spoken to each one of us in ways that are way beyond me. Um, you said where two or more are gathered, you're right there in their midst. We thank you, you're here. We thank you, Lord, that you gave your life on Passover, on the cross, Three so days later resurrected. You're alive, you're coming again. And Lord, this is a divine play here tonight. And I just wanna pray for anyone here that in these next few moments would like to receive you, Lord, and you know, so many times you just would say to people, follow me. You, you said that to Peter and James and John, and they just dropped their nets and they followed you. And I really believe that that's taking place now. In other words, Lord, you are initiating contact with individuals because you love them, you're pursuing them. And, um, and, and Lord, just thank you that you know everything about us, but you love us. And, you're not, and perfect love casts out all fear you've said in your word. And so I just want to ask, please, while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, you just give me a private moment. I thank you so much. I just want to say to anyone here, would you like to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord? and Would you like tonight to leave here knowing your sins are forgiven? If you're to die, you'd go to heaven. You want that settled. You, you just want to know for sure that you're prepared to meet the Lord. You want to have right relationship with him. You want to receive Christ. If that's you, I just want you to raise up your hand. And, and I'm going to pray for you. I'm not going to call you to do anything. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want you to raise up your hand though. And you're saying, yes, that's me. God bless you. Anybody else in the right, the left, the middle? I mean, you're thinking, man, that's me. I'll tell you why I'm doing this. Because Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my father, which is in heaven. If you deny me, I'll also deny you. I mean, there's just something important about responding. And and I don't even believe anybody can come to know the Lord unless the Holy Spirit draws them. And so it's a divine work. It's way beyond me. So I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm just merely going to pray a prayer uh, of salvation and blessing in your life. So anybody else, if you would like to receive Christ, I want to make sure just an invitation has been given. It's clear. Just raise up your hand. It's a little bit up high so I can see it. Sometimes it's hard for me to see in a setting like this. If you would like to receive Christ, you raise up your hand. We just want to make sure an invitation is given just this last few moments last time anybody you else you raise up your hand let me pray for you so lord i just i just thank you for these precious ones to whom i know you're speaking to and drawing to yourself and i want to lead you for those of you that raised your hand even if you didn't you'd like to receive christ hey jump on this prayer here i encourage you to do so because this is the prayer simply of asking christ to come into your life it's a prayer of faith, believing that He hung blood, gave His life on the cross. And here's the thing I believe if you mean it from your heart, the Lord will honor it. So just pray this prayer with me Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me, paying the debt of my sin on the cross. I know I'm a sinner and I need Your forgiveness. Thank you for giving your life. And three days later, resurrecting from the dead. Lord, come into my life. Fill me with the life of God, your presence. Teach me to follow you all the days of my life. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for coming into my life. Thank you for making me your child. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen.